Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality and creating change. Today, we're talking about the Creating Change Conference coming to Detroit in January 2019. The Creating Change Conference is the premier annual event of a national LGBTQ task force. Creating Change was started in 1988, one year after the 1987 National March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights. The message of the 1987 March was clear, go home and get to work. It was because of this message that the task force soon found itself deluged with requests for resources, advice, and assistance. In order to deal with all these requests, they started a national organizing and training conference that organizers and activists could gather at and teach each other while building a stronger movement. Today, Creating Change has grown to over 3,500 attendees from all over the country and from all walks of life, and it's getting bigger every year. The five-day program will be held at the Detroit Marriott at the Renaissance Center, January 23rd to 29th. A host committee working with dedicated task force staff worked tirelessly to put together the program. Joining us today, our host committee co-chair, Bridie Mae Johnson, and the task force director of Creating Change, Andy Garcia. Andy joined the task force in May 2018 taking over the conference from the legendary Sue Hyde, who had served the task force in that capacity since 1986. Andy is a seasoned activist with over 25 years of experience working for social justice and LGBTQ movements. He brings to the task force a wealth of skills and knowledge in a range of areas, including LGBTQ conference and event planning, diversity and inclusion training, HIV testing, prevention and decriminalization, and LGBTQ youth service provision. His activism began during his time as a women's study major at Cornell University. Since then, he's worked on numerous conferences, including the National Lesbian and Gay Health Conference, the National Youth Advocacy Coalition's regional and national summits, and most recently, the Equality Federation Leadership Conference. Bridie Mae Johnson is no stranger to collections by Michelle Brown. She's a licensed social worker who grew up in Saginaw, Michigan. With Native American, Caucasian, and African American lineage, Johnson brings a unique perspective to all. She draws upon her roots to build spaces where diversity and inclusion can flourish. 
Friday worked as Director of Programs at the Ruth Ellis Center from 2007 to 2009. She moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where she worked with the Restorative Justice Department, the Judicial System of LGBTQI Informational Topics, and for Georgia's Department of Family Services. Upon returning to the Metro Detroit area, she joined the staff of American Indian Health and Family Services. Through her work, she's become aware of and researched the problem of human trafficking, especially of youth and members of the LGBTQ community. Friday and Andy, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you both today? I'm great, Michelle. Thank you so much for inviting me back to the show. I'm wonderful as well. It's an honor to be here, Michelle. Well, it's it's great to have you both. I mean, this is like a really big deal for Detroit. I mean, this is, I believe, our third Creating Change. And um, to showcase the city, to showcase our community is, is always something that everybody in the metro area um you know, puffs our chest to start a little bit more. Andy, this is, as they say, your first Creating Change rodeo. Um, and having stepped in behind Sue Hyde, who, although small in stature, had some pretty big shoes for you to fill, mm-hmm. how, has it, how has it felt taking this on and doing it here in Detroit? You know, I'm not going to lie. It's it's pretty daunting, and I've I've heard that Sue's shoes were in fact very large. That's that's the first thing that most people say to me, um, is what large shoes I have to fill. It, it you know I have to pinch myself sometimes. It it is really a dream come true in a lot of ways, and I I I don't know how many people get to say that that they're they've they've they're working their dream job. But for me, it's really true. Um, I I'll just say the first creating change I ever attended as a participant was in 1995 in Detroit. So this is a homecoming for me. And the fact that we're at the same hotel is, is just, you know, it's really amazing as well. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm coming home to Detroit for the first conference um, that I'll, as director, you know, I've been, I've been going to about, I've been to about 21 creating changes as best I can, I can count. Um, so this is really an honor and a privilege to be in this role. Now this is your first being in charge of creating change, but like you said, you've come to 21. You've been to 21 wow. of them. You, you bring a lot of experience. What, when you thought about this and coming here and taking on this role, I mean, you, don't, you can't, I mean, Sue Hyde was Sue Hyde, but you have your own unique mark to put on it. What from your experience and activism, and I mean, like I said, you've done a lot of event planning and stuff, what did you? What do you want to, people to come away with? Like, okay, this is Andy's show. This is his mark on it. What did you? What special thing about it did you want to to bring to Detroit? So it's 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 hard to say. Um, you know, in terms of what the experience will be for participants, there's not much that I want to change. I've always felt that the conference um, is a really special place, and that it, it sort of has its own way of being that's, that's really organic from the participants. And we, I, I really want to preserve that piece of it. I don't want there to be a big transition for the people who have been coming for years, uh, some of them much longer than me. I feel it's really important for 
the core essence of the conference to remain the same. We might make changes over the years, but this, this first year, I think it is really important to to let folks know that this is their conference and it's going to be their conference. And what will change my mark for at least the first few years is going to be very behind the scenes. Um, I'm really focusing on on sort of the 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 back of the house production of the conference and and really bringing my expertise in that realm. Um, and again, mm-hmm. without really without really marking a major departure for the participants. Um, one thing that I really am clear on, though, is Detroit is a really special city. So we are working really hard to showcase Detroit. Um, and as you know, Michelle, uh, one of the one of the first experiences that many people will have at the conference. Um, the official launch of the conference is on Thursday night with our plenary, and we've decided that that plenary should really focus on Detroit. So it will be all folks who are local um, talking about what makes the city special. Now, so Andy, I, uh-huh. now, you said that you have been here. Um, you know, it's been a while, I mean, since that first visit to Detroit. And have you had a chance to, like, sort of come back and poke your nose around to sort of see what's different than, than what you're used to or to visit some of the new things but also go to some of the old things? Like, have you been to the Motown Museum? Sure. So I, I'll say that I came to Detroit in 1995 um, for the conference. I came back in 2008 was the second time mm-hmm. that we were at the Renaissance Center for Creating Change. Um, I've been coming um, off and on for for a couple decades now. My sister and her family live out in in um, Plymouth, Michigan, and I can remember a time when they first moved there that we would often just go uh, to dinner at Mexican Village or or to the museum to see the Diego Rivera uh, murals and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Now, when I've gone back in recent years, I've seen the changes, especially to the Central Business District and, and the food scene that's booming. Um, so, you know, I've gotten a sense over the past um, really 23 years of how Detroit has changed, um, you know, and I'm, I'm really interested in looking at how that change both benefits um, the city and the people and how some people lose out on that change. That's really important for me to really think about when we describe a city in Renaissance or a rebirth, what progress looks like and who gets left out of that equation. Mm-hmm. Now, Bridie, when you, you know, you, you took this on, but, you know, you're a Detroiter. You've left, but you come back. And, you know, and, you know, I followed you, you know, when you, and you've always been involved in community. Even when you were in Georgia, you came back. When you took on this position as one of the co-chairs and you had the people come, what was it important to you that they got about your city, this place that, that you love and you've served for so many years? Well, um, it, with it being the third time in Detroit, I wasn't as fortunate as Andy. I wish I could have been here in 1995 um, as well. But uh, in the 2008, it was so much community. It was just so empowering to me. That was the first time, to be honest, that I stepped in a space, in a place that felt 
like being the straight person would be the minority. And mm-hmm. it, so it changed my lens in a lot of senses. Now, I had been working for 10 years with Ruthella Center on the board, you know, um, but to see creating change here in Detroit was so impactful for me as a person. And then I helped Dave Wade on the volunteer. I was the co-chair for the volunteer subcommittee that year. And to bring to Detroit what we brought then, um, but I would say tenfold is what's so important to me because I just think that if this conference meant as much to me as it did, I can't imagine the impact for the youth and individuals that maybe this is their first out experience or um, whatever they may come with to be able to experience the love, the warmth, the community, the cohesiveness that I did in the space. So where is that place that you've taken Andy or that you want to take Andy to say, hey, this is home? Huh, let me think. When Andy gets here, where do I want to take him and say this is home? I would take him to the water, Michelle. Mm-hmm. That's where I would take him, right out front of the Marriott Renson, because um, kind of that's where it all began, and that's where I give, you know, pay honor and homage to our land. So mm-hmm. I would probably go there first, cold or not. <laughs> okay, okay, Andy, you have to give it. I was expecting her. I mean, I'm not surprised about that. But are you going to take him ice skating down there in Campus Marches? Oh, you know what? That would be really fun. Or do you know they have a new human um, Jenga puzzle down there? Human-sized Jenga puzzle? Okay. It's huge. So I went down and saw the light cascade show that they had down there and there's so many there was a outside bowling there's so many activities down at campus marsh that that haven't been in the past i was really excited when me and jay went right before thanksgiving we got to see the stalactite am i saying it right lighting show Mm -hmm. that was there temporarily so that'll be gone but there are plenty of things to do and i would definitely go out and skate andy i don't know if you're down for it or not you know, Bridie, we always have a great time together, and I do love ice skating, and I'm, I'm pretty impervious to the cold, so it's, that, that works for me for sure. Awesome. Well, I, okay, we'll see. There you are. Now, I know that um, where, where you live in Washington, Andy, but what, what's home? Where is home for you? So home is a few places. I grew up in North Jersey right outside of New York City, um, and mm-hmm. in my teen years, my family moved to Miami, and I went to high school there, and then, as you said, I went to school in upstate New York. Um, Mm -hmm. I have lived in uh, D.C., Boston, and Brooklyn in my adult life, and when I talk about going home to see my parents, they now actually live outside of Philadelphia, so, you know, I've been all up and down the East Coast in my life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talk about that this is like your dream job. What made you decide that the focus of your work would be with the LGBTQ community that has led you to this place? I mean, I'm sure you could have gone and done many things, but you stayed in activism and service. And what what drew you to that? I say it's my dream job because the first time I walked into Creating Change, I had a really similar experience as Bridie. I really, for the first time, felt like I could be around that many people, thousands of people, and not feel anxious or not feel different or afraid. I felt like I had found my people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the the twists and turns that life 
takes. If you had asked me my freshman year of college if I thought this was what I'd be doing, I would have said no. And I followed my heart, and I followed what, you know, my instincts told me and where my passions lie. And, you know, I, I became a women's studies major because I really wanted to look at um, oppression and power and really had to dismantle systems that I disagreed with. The early 90s, when I was in school, there was, there was a lot happening. Um, there was Rodney King. There, you know, there was Anita Bryant. There were things that I just saw. Um, you know, I saw a lot of potential at that point, um, especially around LGBTQ issues. We were just in the midst, the tail end of the HIV epidemic. And some of my earliest activism was um, just being really moved by ACT UP and that form of protest. And it just made my heart sing to, to get engaged in something that was both really personal but bigger than myself. And, you know, it just was a matter of what I wanted my life to be and what I thought would give me, you know, give, make me feel fulfilled. And it was, it was LGBTQ activism. But then from there, really, to, to not limit it to that, to look at, you know, the intersectionality of issues. And, and as, as the, the son of an immigrant from Cuba, I just was also keenly aware of, of that experience. Um, so I really wanted to bring all of that into my life. I didn't know that I'd get paid for it, which was the difference. <laughs> I, didn't think that, I didn't think that was an option back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm, right. re- I'm, really gl- I'm really glad that I followed my heart. So, Bridie, you know, and you've been in it, and I hear one of the things that I like is like he talked about that he is, uh, from a, has an immigrant background, and often when people think of, of, it shows the broadness of our community, and that's one of the things about creating change. Because I often think about people still want to think when they think gay, they often want to go like, oh, well, it's gay white men, and you know, or it's like certain TV shows or you know the L word. They, they have a stereotype of us, and one of the beauties of creating change, which I often tell people, it's like this great big family reunion. But you see the depth and the breadth of our community. That yes, if you talk about you know immigrant issues, yes, it's our issue. If you talk about the Me Too movement, it's our issue. If you talk about women's issues and families, all of these are our issues, and it's all able to come together under that umbrella of creating change there's so much going on right now i mean we you know we have this administration which is like you know every day you have to shake your head and doing it did you feel i mean and for this is for both of you as you were coming talk about okay what do we want to focus on did did you go like there's so much but how do we narrow it down to what exactly do we, what's the hot issue, what's the important issue, what's going to impact the vast majority of our community or what people are coming here for? Yeah, or how do we showcase all of what we got and what we're worth? That's been, I think, some of the biggest challenges because, um, you know, you were a part of one of our sub-calls just trying to get together a portion of this amazing training that's coming, and it's like, what do you leave out? We have to talk about food sovereignty. We have to talk about water justice. We need to talk about, you know, everything that's impacting the lives of the people in the city of Detroit. Um, Andy, what, what do you think? But I think that yeah, Andy, I mean, I mean, if, if I could jump in real quick, but Andy, oh, don't you also have to weigh what's happening in the city of Detroit, but you're also the director of the whole shebang. So where you, you have, to, have to, don't you also have to have that lens on what's happening 
not only in Detroit, but what's happening on the East Coast, the West Coast, down along the border, you know? That's exactly right, Michelle. And you mentioned Me Too in your, in your remarks just now. And our Saturday plenary session, which is a daytime plenary session, is, is focused on, you know, not just Me Too, um, but what that represents in terms of a, a shift, hopefully a, a, a real shift in how we think about sexual violence and sexual abuse. So we're really centering on that movement in particular. There are so many movements right now from Black Lives Matter to, as you mentioned as well, what's happening on the border. Um, but r- really we felt, um, you know, for, for a conference that's, that's about freedom and liberation, um, you know, we'd, we'd be remiss to not um, really talk about Me Too. So we have a panel of folks from the Mirror Memoirs Project, which is, all LGBTQ people of color who are survivors of sexual abuse, um, childhood and adult, um, and sexual violence. And we'll be hearing from them on Saturday afternoon. Um, So really looking at how do we queer the Me Too movement and make sure that queer voices, LGBTQ voices, um, are really really centered on, because we, as LGBTQ people, um, research shows, and gender nonconforming people in particular, are more likely to experience sexual violence, especially in childhood. So that felt really important to us as an issue um, that's not just Detroit-specific to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's that you're talking about that, too, but, you know, I think I'd be remiss in not bringing up the fact that we had another trans sister of color who was murdered here just this past week. How are you talking about violence, not only about, the LGBT community, about trans people, because often what you hear from our trans sisters and brothers is like that the LGBTQ sometimes aren't 100% behind or supportive or standing with the T. How do you walk that line? How do you bring people together as a community? I, our, first of all, our, our hearts break for, for Kiana Mattel and, and her family and her friends. Um, you know, we're just really devastated by that news. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something we're very front of mind for us at the task force for a while, since, especially since our Stop Trans Murders campaign several years ago, where we really want to recognize um, not just Kiana, but the, the, the dozens of, of trans women of color who have been murdered this year alone and the hundreds around the world who have been murdered just this year. We do a in memoriam every Friday at our State of the Movement plenary. That will focus on not just the trans women of color who are murdered, but all of our LGBTQ uh, people that we lost this year. I think the, the folks in attendance at the conference will see what an epidemic the murder of trans women of color in particular has become. We know that this has always happened, um, but there really seems to be an epidemic and a crisis of, uh, you know, in in this regard. So we, we really want to recognize that at this conference and that, that will happen as they said on Friday, but also throughout. I'll share that we, we are having a house ball on Friday night, which will be, an amazing and fun event. Um, and, you know, given the news that we learned about Kiana Mattel, and I, and I think it's important to say her name, um, we, you. you know, had just, we had talked about whether we should dedicate the ball to her. 
And I think the response, you know, it kind of took me aback a little bit, but, but the response that I got to that was made so much sense was that we, we have to honor all of our, our trans sisters who we've lost this year, not, not just Kiana. Mm-hmm. That's good. Huh? Well, we're going to take our first break here, and uh, then we're going to get into how this is all coming together. So, Bridie, Andy, we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're talking about Creating Change 2019 with one of the co-hosts, Bridie Mae Johnson, and the director of Creating Change from the task force, Andy Garcia. So let's talk about how this comes, comes over, because one of the things that I always like about Creating Change, and that there's this lovely dance between the task force and its expertise and history and the community. You know, in the past I've done interviews with, you know, host committee members and, and um, task force members, and some of them it's just like a love fest. I remember once talking with Mary Morton in Chicago and Russell Roybal, and it was like, you know, you guys, you know, they, they were on their own little love fest because of this close relationship develops. How do you go about doing this dance, starting a, finding the host co-chairs, developing a host committee, and then doing this dance between what needs to be done, the practical, the logistical part of it, bringing in the expertise, and but also respecting and including the passion and history of the, not only the co-chairs, but that host committee in that city. Andy, Heidi, would you, you like to go first? Oh, I'll, I'm happy to. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I'll just I'll just start by saying the, the that creating change, we're really committed to having the conference in a different city every year. It, it would be easy in some ways for us to just have it here in D.C., um, but we mm-hmm. we are very intentional not to do that. And it's about sharing the love with with every city. And it's also in our minds, you know, and not to sound patronizing about it, because I, I really hope that it's not, but in our minds it's about us partnering with the city and certainly leaving the city in a better place at the end, hopefully, you know, in terms of building relationships and building community and letting folks from other parts of the country know what's going on in Detroit and hopefully encourage them to make, you know, build relationships in Detroit and, and come back to visit after the conference um, and really understand it in new ways. So that part of it is really important. Um, you know, in, in terms of developing the, the host committee and identifying the co-chairs, 
Um, that is, you know, something that we start very early in the year. So our first visit, I actually came in April, and mm-hmm. that was before I was the director. So I, I kind of, you know, was was there to shadow Sue to see how she she weaves that magic with people and builds those relationships and. The energy that she brings into the space is really captivating. So that kicked off the process. Um, And in terms of selecting co-chairs, it's one of those things that's an abundance of riches. There are so many wonderful people, and it's really hard for us to to choose folks. I mean, it it was a a process that, um, you know, I came in as, as, as almost an observer to try to learn from Sue how to do that. And so much of our work is relationship building and relationships as we know can be really tricky. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, sort of trust building and um, skills building as well. Like a lot of the, the, the work that we've asked Bridie and the other co-chairs to do is, is heavy lifting. Um, it's fundraising. It's, it's recruiting volunteers. It's, it's all of the things that make the conference um, possible. We can't do it without the hundreds of volunteers and the, the dozens and dozens of host committee members and most importantly, the four co-chairs of which Bridie is one. You know, one of the things that I think that, uh, that people need to know is also that it isn't like, because I was at that meeting in April, you didn't come and say, okay, and you need to be it, you need to be it, you need to be it. You asked for input from the community. You know, you asked some people that, you know, who you knew were going to just want to jump up, but you asked for input from the community. And I know that one of the last conversations that I had with Sue, like we both knew someone who had left the area, and she's like, who's stepping up to do, you know, that work that she did? And I think that that's really important because often some people will think like, oh, this organization came in and they're just doing it. But you have people who stepped up. And one of those people who stepped up was you, Bridie, you know, not that you don't have a full plate. I mean, like you, like you have all this time that you spend, you know, reading your magazines and getting your nails done. But, you, you know, <laughs> you're always working. You're always doing it. You're always on the go. But you stepped up. Why? You know, I stepped up. I was honored to, to have my name even, like, put in the hat and then to see all the work that the task force does. Like, they literally interviewed and spoke to everybody that was on that list. And I think probably 100 people, I don't know how, how large it was, but um, I just think that that takes a lot of courtesy and a lot of determination and a lot of time. Um, and so I just felt honored to be able to be in the space. It's a huge undertaking, um, but I've learned so much uh, through the year and through that process as well. So I just feel like, you know, it's, um, it's number one, beneficial to our community because to me it was so important that we had, you know, indigenous um, concepts, um, people of color stuff, uh, immigration, you know, just everything that Detroit represents kind of in that space. And I think that the task force has done a wonderful job at assisting to make sure that uh, Detroit gets what it deserves. Now, we, you know, and I didn't mention everyone, but would you give a shout out to your other, because there's four of you, to your other co-chairs in case people don't know them and I know one of them has also been a guest here on the show but if you would identify them Sure. We have um, David Nielsen um, Kara Matrano and you know Liliana Yep, that's my girl Uh Yes Mm-hmm. And she's been going through so much and still has been a trooper um, get, getting it all done. So I give a shout-out. My hat's off to all of them. Now, you know, 
so then, and then you've had these host committee meetings where you're really asking people to come in and help you do that heavy lifting. Um, how has that worked, I mean, for you, Bridie? And then for you, Andy, you know, what do you, if someone came to you and they said, you know, why would I want to volunteer and do this? Why do I want to do this? What is the message that you tell people, you know, like when you're trying to encourage people to come in and volunteer? Sure. So I, I feel like um, this is movement building in action. Um, what I'm impressed by with the meetings is, you know, and I've, I've only been to that kickoff meeting back in April, and then I, I was honored to join the host committee meeting in October. Um, what I was really impressed with is, you know, it's, it's a mix of things that happen, right? It's, it's business happens for sure. We hear what each of the, the subcommittees is up to and, and, you know, for example, like how is the, the plans for our on-site HIV testing shaping up? That happens alongside relationship building, um, which is critical. Um, we've seen in different meetings things get resolved. So, you know, people will come to the meeting and they'll have something to say and they'll work some issues out with someone. That is the work happening. And sometimes I mm -hmm. feel like my tendency and other people's tendencies might be to say that kind of stuff gets in the way of the work, but in fact that stuff is the work. And when I say we want to leave Detroit, you know, hopefully better than we found it, uh, that's part of it is, is having people build those authentic relationships. It's often that the work becomes a vehicle for the better stuff in my mind, which is those long-term relationships. One of the hardest things for folks to do is to learn how to work with each other product productively, especially if they're working through differences. So I really see that happening through the host committee. So, Bridie, has it been like herding cats or, 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 you know, or has it been like a reunion or a little bit of both? Um, I, I would say definitely a little bit of both. Um, you know, I mean, it's always interesting to see dynamics change and shift and to see people change and shift. And, you know, just as, um, as quick as last night, you know, we had a creating change meeting, and I think I actually saw creating change happen. There was someone that was making some statements, and there was some pushback from, from the people that were sitting around her, and the message was clear. And by the next day, she had kind of changed her own framework. So I just I think that this is imperative work that we're doing. And no matter how hard, you know, I'm going to work as hard as, it, as I have to to get it done. And I hope that's one of the reasons they had faith in me to um, be a co-host. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Another thing I'm going to ask you, you know, when, you, when you're planning this and the, the thought of safety, because I'll tell you, since the 2016 elections, and I, I go to a lot of things and talk to a lot of people, and I have heard not just members of our trans community, but just members of the LGBTQ community who said that the climate makes them feel unsafe. I have had, you know, a friend, a very dear friend, who's a gay white man in the suburbs, had said that he was actually considering, like, semi-going back in the closet because there's this, this unsafeness it's doing. So here we're talking about 3,500 and probably more people coming to Detroit. Does that thought about safety 
um, not only ensuring that their safety, but addressing the fact that this is going through people's minds, that we have had people say things to us, feel emboldened to say things to us, and that there's a level of trauma, there's a level of uncertainty in our community. Has that sort of like come through where not only do you want to ensure that people are safe in the surrounding, but to address these uncertainties that many in our community have? I think you hit the nail on the head when you said trauma. I think, um, well, I don't think, I know so many of us live with, with trauma. It's, it's part of our DNA as LGBTQ people, as people of color, as women. It's so much of, of what we're operating in is this, you know, generational trauma and personal trauma. I'll say that safety looks different for, for, for everyone. And we try to really have a holistic approach to making the conference feel safe. We'll never say that the conference is a safe place because we don't believe that a truly safe place exists. And we aim to make sure that people are met where they are and are are provided what they need. So, for example, safety for some people looks like the Me Too plenary might be really triggering and might be really difficult Mm -hmm. for some folks. So we're making sure that there's wraparound support for those people, both immediately after the plenary, through the programming and workshops, um, in all of those community care spaces that we offer, the hospitality suites, our healing center, that safety looks like taking care of people's emotional well-being as well as their physical well-being. In some senses, the physical security part, the conference is so large and there's so many people that by virtue of that, it feels very safe to people for them to be them true, their true selves. The task force's motto is be you. And so it, it does feel safe in that regard. In terms of, you know, the safety of the building, we work with our very skilled team of security experts whom we've been working with for years who are extremely competent around LGBTQ issues. They know the conference. They know our people. They are focused on de-escalation and One of the things that we know, though, is we are in a larger building. We're in the General Motors headquarters of the Renaissance Center, which has their own um, somewhat, you know, militarized police force within the building, not in the hotel itself, but as people Mm -hmm. move from the hotel pretty seamlessly into the rest of the Renaissance Center, we've been in very serious conversations with the hotel security um, and with the Renaissance Center security, as well as Detroit Police Department. Um, to make sure that our folks who have had very bad experiences with law enforcement, which we know there are many at the conference, that they feel safe in that regard as well. So we're really trying to make sure that we recognize that safety looks different for everybody at the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I think that that's, that's true because it is something, there's something that's really great that you look forward to coming to Creating Change because it's like, you're there, you feel really safe, you're around everyone, but, you know, you can look at the TV, you can step outside, and it's different. But then also, like, it seems to me that being in that space, to have that time to really live authentically and see other people who are living that way, it encourages, it helps you when you leave creating change. And I think that's why people come each year to get that, that infusion of feeling good about being themselves and being stronger and being out. Absolutely. So, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and now, Bridie, we've talked about your community committees coming together. Do you and 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 Andy? I know that you know. I mean, I've done event planning and stuff. How you often wonder, okay, what if nobody shows up? <laughs> you know, or, or that thing, or, you know, or like you know, well, and and then trying to talk yourself off that ledge, saying, you know, who's supposed to be there will be there, and it will be okay. You know, but. The numbers. I mean, okay, you said you've had thirty five hundred. You know, do you do you say like, oh, gee, we're good to have five thousand, but what if we only get three thousand? I mean, do you worry about the numbers? How important are the numbers, or are you comfortable that those who need to be there will be there, and however many numbers it is? You know, I'm not going to lie. We, we, we fret a lot. I fret a lot about, about mm-hmm. exactly that. So, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for me to start my day by saying, what are the, <laughs> registration, what are the registration numbers and where were we last year? And the, the, the truth is we are exactly where we are every year. And part of what mm-hmm. we know is that our people are notorious for waiting until the last minute. Um, we, we closed early registration a while back. Um, we're about a month and a week out from the conference, and I would say we have about a third of who we expect to come registered, and, and that's all right. And, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of phrases. There's, there's quality over quantity. We certainly want to make sure that <laughs> – we want to make sure – our big goal is to make sure that everyone who wants to come can come. Um, and we, we, we balance that with the fact that the conference doesn't have all the money in the world and we have to say no sometimes and it feels really difficult. Um, and we are committed to, to helping as many people come as, as possibly can. It, it's, it's about getting our people there more than anything. I've said we could, we could just rent a hotel and, and provide the space and the conference would still happen um, because the people who are there are so passionate about their issues and they would find a room and they would you know, find a piece of paper to, to, to write a presentation on and it would still happen. So I think you're right. The, the, the thing that we were most concerned with is that people come and not just for the sake of having, you know, bodies in the space, but, but to really make sure that everyone can benefit from the beauty and the magic that creating change is. Mm-hmm. And are there linkages between the years? Because I know, and I want to say it was the year that it was in Baltimore. No. 2011 was, was Baltimore. Okay. Okay, and we were there. There's a young woman there who was from Cleveland who showed up that weekend. And because there were people who had been at Creating Change the year before, and they heard her talk, they said, oh, you really need to, you really need to, uh, to be there. And they found a way to make sure that she was there, you know, last minute, but it was like, you really need to go. And then I know that the year that I went to Houston, I saw people who were like, well, people the year before told me that I really need to be there. And then you also have your repeat crowd. I mean, there's people that I know if I don't see them anytime, I'm going to see them at Creating Change. Is it like that? Do you, do you have people who, who stay in touch with you? And I guess it sort of goes like, and, and I would even say to both of them, does it go to you, Andy? Like, does the task force hear from people like, okay, how do we get involved? Do you have people who volunteer, who will volunteer for Detroit, who maybe were from Chicago, Baltimore, Dallas, Houston? And, um, and then, Bridie, are you hearing from your friends, and I can tell you right now that Betty will not be coming, <laughs> who are like, you know, I need to get up there, you know, 
What's happening? How do I plug in? Who are no longer here? Maybe who will, used to live in Detroit? Well, um, I do, you know, I know that we try to set up the volunteers to be more local than across the country, like when it comes to their neck of the woods, just because it gives the locals um, that, you know, may need a reduced or free way a way to attend the training. But it is open for all if they can come and do the volunteer orientation and then um, fill the shifts. We need them. So we're at about 250 volunteers. They want 400. I want 500 so everybody gets an extra break. (laughs) (laughs) We're an activist. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say we're an activist conference. So, like, activists know how to make things happen. So I I, I absolutely think that there are folks every year who who are moving and shaking all year to figure out how to get themselves to the conference. And it is, for so many people, it's the highlight of their year. And it, it always was for me as well. So I totally get it. No, I mean, there's so many great stories about people. I know people who have met and married, you know. You always hear about the love relationships that come out of it, or, you know, some laugh, some don't. You know, great friendships. You know, all these things happen and come from it. Um, Bridie, this is for you. I mean, it's, I know it's in Detroit, but, you know, we have a big state, and we have LGBT people all over it. Are you getting participation from... Western Michigan, from Lansing, from uh, like the Port Huron area? Um, Yes and no. Like I don't have a vast majority of people. Like I would say, you know, they come out Oakland County and Washtenaw County that are coming to the host committee meetings, but we do have them on um, some of the different subcommittee meetings, and I do believe that that will be a larger part of our volunteer base that will come, but they're not going to come and tell Creating Change, and then they'll help us out on our daily needs, you know, when they're there in the space. So I do know, you know, I got a lot of friends, a couple coming from Grand Rapids and coming from over in that area that can't come or can't attend the host committee meetings, but they're definitely going to be at Creating Change and then, um, you know, want to sign up and volunteer and help in that context when they're there. Mm-hmm. Andy, do you ever look at, like, the odd areas? Like, I know that most of the time it's, like, in a big city, but have you ever, like, looked at something like, Like, is there ever an opportunity that there'd be a Kalamazoo creating change that would bring in people from western Michigan, Indiana, and Illinois? Or do you ever look at at some place, is there ever any consideration to do some place that's like a a hub area that might reach more than one state? Sure. You know, there's a challenge in terms of, our requirements for the size of the hotel. So that's just mm-hmm. a, a restriction that we have to work within. Um, you know, is there a hotel in the city that can accommodate um, a thousand guest rooms per night and have mm-hmm. 40 different meeting rooms available for the workshop sessions? So that's a real consideration. We are very committed to having the conference be in a single hotel as best mm-hmm. we can. It's, it's rare that every single thing can happen in the host hotel, but you know, the vast majority of people stay in the host hotel who are visiting from out of town, and the vast, vast majority of programming happens in that hotel. And that's sort of so that we can create this world for ourselves mm-hmm. within that hotel. I, I like to say the world that we want to live in um, happens in that hotel. When we look at places that are perhaps smaller, that have a conference, a convention center, for example, that often means having the meeting space in a convention center 
and five or six hotels around the convention center to house everyone. That's not something we've considered doing yet. Um, so what we're focusing on is, is really geographic um, diversity, so moving the conference from corner to corner of the country and all the places in the middle. Um, I'll say to your question about, about Michigan, so I spent um, some time this weekend reviewing 370 scholarship applicants. And, you know, I was sort of having an eye towards who's, who's in southeastern Michigan and who's not. And there were some place names in Michigan that I can't recall off the top of my head that people were applying from. There are certainly a lot of folks from Kalamazoo, as you mentioned, for example, mm-hmm. who have applied for scholarships. And I haven't dug into the registration in the same way, but that's just what I saw with the 370 folks who applied for scholarships. Mm-hmm. Now, I would tell you, okay, every time it's someplace cold, because I know I was in Chicago. I mean, I have friends in Chicago, so I said, okay, I know Chicago. Um, I know, like, Minneapolis. I mean, every, and even last time when it was in Detroit, and it's cold, many people go like, oh, God, how come they just can't have them in, in, in warm areas? How do you play out going from... You know, I mean, I know the year that it was in Houston, I was really happy to go to Houston in January. And, you know, I mean, how do you determine geographic locations? Do you have a mix of like, okay, well, we've done so many southern places, we've done east coast, west coast. How do you determine what, which direction on the map you're going to go? I mean, is there a balance, like so many cold years, so many warm years? <laughs> Um, so I, I would just say, what's better on a really cold winter day than to be in a hotel with 3,500 of your friends? Oh, that's and, right. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it certainly is about people spending time going to the sessions. And we program the conference from, you know, depending on when you start counting, from 7 o'clock in the morning until midnight. So there's so much to do inside the hotel. I'd say, why would anyone want to go outside? At the same time, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have an a, a LGBT sports bar right across the street from the hotel this year, uh, Briggs, mm-hmm. if folks are familiar with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've told, them to, we've told them to stock up on bartenders because I bet some folks will, will, you know, take the skywalk across the street and, and go there. We, we do hope that people will explore the city. So, for example, we are arranging tours with Ruth Ellis, with the Ruth Ellis Center, to get folks out to see, see that wonderful space for themselves. Um, we'll be providing... Um, you know, dining guides from from Visit Detroit, the Convention and Visitors Bureau, to make sure people get out. Um, But our focus, you know, as the conference um, planning team is to keep people in the hotel. Um, We we do want to move it from space, from place to place. We've been hovering around the northeastern corner of the country for the past few years. Um, You know, Philadelphia, D.C., Detroit, even Chicago is still sort of in that northeastern, mm-hmm. you know, corner of the country. So we really do want to go out west and go down south to show some love to the other parts of the country and also to save travel time for people. We have folks coming from, from California, and that's a, that's a long haul to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, and I agree with you. I mean, because I know that most of the time once you get in that hotel, you don't, you don't, you spend a great deal of time there, but periodically you do go out and, like you said, Detroit has a lot of great things that I hope that people, you know, get a, get an opportunity to get out and and see and enjoy. I mean, like the Motown Museum or the the DIA and or the historical museum things to, or even the Museum of African American History. There are things that are about and that we 
the LGBTQ community here has a stake in it that, that we want people to see. Well, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of this year's Creating Change. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. We're back here with Bridie Mae Johnson and Andy Garcia. Um, you know, you talked about people registering. The early registration is off, like you said. I know people, and even though they know when it is every year about, it's always like, I don't know if I'm going to go, but you know they're going to go. You know, early registration is over. Registration obviously is not going to close. Talk about registration. What what is it? Do they have to come for the whole five days? Can they? How do they go about? How do people go about registering at this point? Sure. So your best place to go is is creatingchange.org, and there's a the very first tab is register. We have a number of different rates available for students, for seniors, for for young people under eighteen, for folks with limited income. There's rates for presenters. There's a single day rate if you just want to come for a day and check out the magic, although I'm not sure why anyone would do that, given how much mm-hmm. exciting thing happens across the five mm-hmm. days. There's also two Maybe days if it's before. their first time, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, just don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what if you are disabled? Because, I mean, one, uh, we have many people who, who are in the LGBT community who are, in fact, there's a new organization that's talking about LGBT abilities. What is, is there, I know that you're being sensitive, that you're making arrangements, so no matter what your ability, that you can come. But what would you say if someone is thinking, you know, I, I need someone to help me, I need a service animal, you know, I need to. I need to know: Is this going to be there for me? What would you say to people who are differently abled? Sure. So that is our foremost concern: is that everybody who comes to the conference is met with what the task force refers to, the National LGBTQ Task Force, the organization that uh, presents this conference. We we believe in radical welcome, and that means that everyone who attends the conference feels like they are exactly where they need to be and that they have everything they need to fully participate in the conference. We have a team of ASL interpreters, for example, and we are, you know, we're, really, we're really passionate about making sure that the ASL interpreters are culturally competent, that they speak the language of the people at the conference, 
that when someone is interpreting from the stage, they are interpreting someone whose experiences they see reflected in themselves and can really convey um, the experiences of that, that person with, with the passion and conviction that the person speaking, um, you know, intends to. So that's really important to us. Um, so we, we really spend a lot of time thinking about how to make the conference as accessible as possible. We are really open to feedback in that regard. So there are things every year that we learn we need to do differently, and that's about creating change um, for the conference itself. Um, I'll let Bridie talk about the hospitality suite, which includes a hospitality suite for people with disabilities. Thank you. Yes. So, um, the the of uh, the disability. What you were you asking me to speak about that suite? I'm sorry. Someone had walked in my office. I apologize. I was, yeah. I was just yes. Yeah. Okay. So we we have plenty of suites, but one of them um, is a is a suite for um, people that are differently abled. I like how you said that, Michelle. That was perfect. Uh, and so that space is created by people in the community that want to give feedback and input um, as to what that space should look like. And it's the same for the elder suite and the youth suite and the people of color suite and um, the asexuality suite and all the suites that we bring together. We try to utilize people that would be comfortable in that space and ask them their opinion because I could try to create the, the safest, best space I could, but I would never be able to get um, all the input that's needed. So that's the most important thing about how um, it's done through the subcommittees is that individuals are able to give their feedback to make sure that it is a space that, like Andy said, is radically welcomed. I love that. Mm -hmm. And you know, and and the hospitality suites are so important because especially yeah. if you're a newbie, I mean, it can get overwhelming. And mm. to be able to go and find your tribe and that hospitality suite and just to have that, that decompressed sort of talk to and see someone who looks like you, who has a similar experience, that can help you. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one of, the, one of the, the folks working on the Creating Change team, Mel Brayman, who's been working with the conference for years now, works with the hospitality suite. She identifies local caterers in all of the cities and works out a menu with them for the hospitality suite so that anyone at the conference can be assured that they'll have a delicious meal from a local business that we're supporting um, at the conference. So each of the hospitality suites has, has meals available for people three times a day plus snacks throughout the day. And, and, you know, just one more thing about the, the, about the conference and its accessibility and people with disabilities, um, it's also reflected in the programming. So there are, there's a caucus on Friday night for people with disabilities and another one on Saturday night, both done by different people so that, you know, folks can come together um, and talk about what that means for them. And then there's also workshops that are skills-based. Um, so there's one session about the ableist architecture of LGBTQ spaces looking at how we design spaces that are accessible to everybody. Um, there's another one on gay SL, which is a clever way of saying, you know, ASL with an LGBTQ competent lens, like how, how, is, how does the, the ASL that LGBTQ people use, how is that different? What's the slang? What's unique about it? And what do interpreters need to know to be proficient in that language? Mm -hmm. Now, it, it sounds like, Okay, you, you talked about the opening night. You talked about the plenaries. Okay, let's, let's take it by, by the day. What are 
when you arrive, when someone gets there, I believe it's on, on the 23rd, there's a Racial Justice Institute. This is something that happens every year. It's a pre-conference. What is the purpose of a Racial Justice Conference Institute, and what will people, why, if you were thinking of not skipping it, why should they think about adding that to their agenda? Absolutely. The Racial Justice Institute is, is, is on Wednesday, so it's, it's technically before the conference itself starts, but it's, it's really, um, for many people, it's, it's one of the things that they look forward to most. Um, it's a day-long event. This year we're partnering with um, the Aorta Co-op, which is a people of color co-op um, of educators, you know, devoting, devoted to strengthening movements for social justice. Um, you know, they're queer, they're multiracial, they're feminist. It is about, as you said, you know, this, this show, uh, Michelle, is about people living on the intersection. So this is about us understanding that, you know, none of us live single identity lives. We are, we are multi-identity people, and racial justice is something the task force, the National LGBTQ Task Force, is, is really um, dedicated to and committed to. And this is the work that the movement, the LGBTQ movement, needs to do. Um, there are so many issues that affect um, LGBTQ people of color disproportionately, so we need to address those if we're going to achieve full equality for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when they register, um, if, if you've already registered and you're listening now and you're going like, you know, I can make the time to come for that, do they need to go back in and, and sign up just for that, or how, does, how would that work? Sure, yeah, so that all happens at creatingchange.org. I think, you know, I'm not, Daniel Moberg on our team is the guru of our registration Mm -hmm. system. Um, I would direct inquiries to him. I'm not sure if once someone has registered, if they change their mind, we can definitely accommodate them. I'm just not sure how that works in the system because it's a brand new system. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, absolutely, if people um, have already registered, just contact us and we'll get you hooked up for sure. Okay, so... Now let's talk just about the conference, and it is. Like there's something from dawn till dusk, you know, that you can go to to really keep you going. And how do you draw the line on what is too much and what is enough? I mean, you have a lot of programs going on. Um, you have how many day-long institutes? Is it 18? There are 18, yep. Those, those happen. So in addition to the Racial Justice Institute on Wednesday, there are 18 of them on Thursday. Mhm. Yeah, you know, 18 on Thursday. And how how do you guide someone through it? Like, you know, you register and you then you look and you go like, shoot, the first day there's 18. <laughs> and you know, mm-hmm. and I might see this and I might see that. I'm not sure what. How is there someone like if you get there, if you're a newbie and you get there and you've registered and you're but then this can be overwhelming because there's an awful lot of stuff to do here, and I want to try and do everything. Who who can help someone? Who can guide them, you know, so that you you leave with the best possible experience? Sure. So I'll let I'll actually let Bridie weigh in for sure. I just wanted to say just really technically there's um, 
there is a first-timers orientation on Thursday after the day-long institutes at 7, uh-huh. and, and that's a place to go if you're, a first, if you're a first-timer. I'll say in those 370 scholarship applications from the weekend, so many of them were first-time attendees, so we're really attentive to that. But, Bridie, by all means, as someone who's attended before, I'd love to do hear you, how you navigate it. Uh, uh, do, right. do, you recognize, do you recognize the people who show up them? There's the ones that look like the, the dough in the headlights, like, oh, my God. It's so gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know your you know your newbies when you see them. Mm-hmm. But I would say there's just there's a lot of help. Like we'll have um, local hospitality uh, information out. We have the volunteer. Um, Dave Waite is always there. Like it was so funny. Like I you know I didn't know him well, and and I got to know him through creating change more than anything. And it's just like whenever I needed something, I could turn, and for whatever reason, he was standing right there, or one of his volunteers with the volunteer mm-hmm. shirts was standing right there. So. Um, I think that's why I said I want 500 instead of 400 just so we have enough people there to make people feel comfortable in that space because I realize what a huge undertaking that can be. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, there are some years, even though he's right here, that the only place that I see him is at Creating Change. And I go, hey, Dave, how are you? You know, and then we (laughs) quit trying to catch up on everything. But like you said, you have somebody who's there who's doing it. And the fact that you do have that for, for your newbies. So you have... All of these days, you're going to have that first night. You're going to have your your you're going to have special things Thursday night, Friday night. I know there's dancing. I mean, people need to know that it isn't like you're not going to go and get just like swamped with all this information. There's a lot of fun that goes on at Creating Change too. <laughs> Friday, what what if you're going to tell somebody and they're going to like you know, well, what's there to do that's fun? What's fun happening at Creating Change? I mean everything. Even the the workshops are fun to me, and that's I'm probably a workshop square in that well, context. Well, that's but us. <laughs> yeah, I mean there are vendors out there with uh, jewelry and different products, and um, just speaking about their own experience or whatever they've got going on. I mean, there's just so much that's fun. It's just it's literally the whole experience. It's getting into the big keynotes and you know wa- seeing all the people and watching 3,500 silverware is clang at just the right time you know so just hearing everybody together in one space um it's just it's amazing everything to me was fun and amazing even when i got lost and couldn't you know figure out where i was going that was kind of fun too so i just think the whole experience is grand now is the renaissance um the marriott are they going to make all of the bathrooms gender neutral yes absolutely that is something mm-hmm. we've been we we're known for. We actually have a lot mm-hmm. of folks from different conferences. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it wrong. I think it's the American Library Association. Just the other day, uh, said that told us that they now make sure that at least some of their restrooms are gender neutral at their conference, um, and that they took their cues from us. Um, and that's that's really wonderful for us. And you know, yeah, and, actually. And- Oh, if I could interject real quick, this is Mm -hmm. something really interesting. There was, um, I went to a restorative justice training in Holland, Michigan um, in 2018, and um, it was in a church, so I was scared right away because the training was going to be in a church. And when I got to the church, um, the pastor there was very, very open and affirming. Like they even had um, gender neutral bathrooms, they made, um, speak, they spoke about wasn't something that was hidden. It was something that was um, right in the forefront, and the actual 
uh, preacher said that she had been to a creating change uh, when it was in um, Detroit in 2008, and that's where she got the idea to hold her church that way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'll tell you, when I was in Right in, in the Chicago, end of Michigan, way out mm-hmm. in Holland. <laughs> and, and in Chicago, we were sitting in a restaurant, and, you know, they had other things going on. Straight woman comes in, talks to her husband. She said, the bathrooms are gender neutral. And, you know, and he started to go like, well, you know, weren't you worried about it? He, she, and she made the, the perfect argument for us. She said, all people want to do is pee. And then we were sitting there listening to her go through this whole, what we talk about when we hear them want to do, you know, uh, trans bands and bathrooms. She read him. Well, she didn't have the script. They just happened to be going through there. So then finally she sort of like, I wonder what kind of thing they're having What made them do that. So a couple of them said, well, it's creating change. And then we told her about creating change. And it was like you change hearts and minds in little ways. Mm. And you saw that suddenly we had an ally. She shut her husband down. She mm. was asking questions about our community, and she said, well, that's why everybody has been so nice here. She said, I see all these people walking around here smiling <laughs> and they're being sort of nice. And, you know, and that's creating change. Not only that, that, that you're there, that there are going to be people who pass through and see us, you know, in these relationships, see little things that, you know, he was going to talk about the, the horrible things that could happen in the bathroom. She's going to, I just had to pee, and it makes so much sense. And people were respectful. I mean, you know, that's how you really create change, and that's one of the beauties of having this conference in a major city, in a big place where you have, you know, thousands of LGBT people and people who walk and see, get over any, they see that, you know, we don't have tails and horns and we're not, you know, sneaking around being something abhorrent, that we're people, we're families. One of my favorite families, and I have watched them, I've watched their daughter grow up, is Rosalie and Bev Tivillary out of New York. Oh, yeah, I love and, them. And Stella, I have watched Stella grow up at Creating Change. And, you know, it's a family. It's revolutionary love. And that's what Creating Change presents, not only to us, but to everyone who interacts with people there, Bridie. Yes. Okay. As you, what would you say, why do you use your elevator pitch to someone who's sitting on the fence from wherever saying, you know, should I go to creating change? It's not at Super Bowl weekend this year. You know, why should I go to Detroit? It's cold. You know, what would you say to them? Should you go to creating change? That's a question. (laughs) I would probably start there passionately with my arms open like, what? Um, You know, and I would just fill them with the joy that it fills me with, Um, you know, talking about some of the things we've talked about tonight, the fact that you can come for free and be a volunteer, the fact that if you need a place to stay, we have um, opportunities through host housing for that. So there are no excuses. Like everyone Mm -hmm. gets in the door, everyone is wanted, everyone is deserved, everyone feels welcome when they get there. So really there's no reason not to. Mm -hmm. And, okay, and Andy, okay, all right, it's coming up. 
what do you say? What What are you going to say? Like, this is what I came, I saw. What would you say if someone said, well, man, are you ready to go back into this, this sector? How did you survive your first planning session? And, you know, you won't have totally survived till it's over. But what are your feelings now based on, like, when you had April, you, I remember you got introduced, you said, okay, I've got this, this is coming up, I don't, you know, I can do this. But what do you what do you say what do you say now about this process? You know, somebody asked me the other day because I was you know a friend of mine and was was just saying like you know it seems like you you have a lot going on how you doing do you feel like this was a good decision to take this job? And I said yeah I love it <laughs> it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we just finished this week was we we scheduled all of the workshops. You know, we had, we had already accepted the ones that we were going to accept, which was a difficult process because, again, abundance of riches. We got um, mm-hmm. more than twice as many as we could accept. And, you know, I just took a moment last night when I got home and I, I just opened to one page of, of what will be the program book and looked through the topics. And, and, you know, I sat there thinking, if I were a participant, which of these would I go to? This is a really hard choice. I feel great about the the program that we've put together, the, the, the variety of workshops. Um, I also want to talk about, you, you mentioned fun. Um, you know, for example, on, on, on a Friday night, someone after going to a day of workshops and, 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 you know, an hour of caucus sessions has the option of going to a reception and then maybe check out a dance. And if, if, they, if the dance isn't their thing, they can go to a movie that we're screening um, or they can, Go to our game night. We have a game night this year. Uh, someone was saying earlier that, you know, when, when they play spades, they play to win, and you, you shouldn't go to that game night unless you, you know, plan to be at that mm-hmm. table. Um, so, you know, it, it's just it's, it's really remarkable to see all of this come together and in so many ways how organic it is. The, the workshops, you know, they come flooding in. All we have to do is ask. Um, all of that content is, is driven by people around the country. Hundreds of presenters make the programming possible. Um, you know, our, our, our team here uh, really are we're guiding people through the process of figuring out what they want, and then we just help them bring that dream to life. We, we manifest what, what people tell us they want the conference to be. So it's a really wonderful process to see all of that happening. Um, as, a, as a participant, I, I, I didn't have a sense of what goes into it. Um, as the director, I do, and, and so much of it is just magic um, that happens year after year. This, this conference is almost self self-perpetuating in so many ways not to say it's not hard work but you know the product is going to be just amazing for folks it's going to be a really wonderful experience that for those first timers will be life-changing just like it was for me um, 23 years ago now for some of those those did you have somewhere you were like darn this is good but you had to put it on the back burner or did you encourage because I know people who have I mean more than one time have submitted a thing and then like I know somebody who's doing one now, and they said, well, you know, each time they just sort of retooled it or talked to other people. Do you give them feedback, or do you sometimes put this in your tickle file to say, like, you know, maybe next year we want to see if they're around? Absolutely. There, there were so many sessions that we, we had, you know, we, we poured over this for weeks. In fact, if, if someone out there listening um, presented a session, we, we said we would notify you on or after November 1st. I think we actually, we were, we were late. You know, we, we, it, we mm-hmm. poured over these for, for weeks 
um, we sent out the proposals to external reviewers, to, to people we partner with, to different organizations, um, to members of our team to get that feedback. And we took, you know, everyone contributed notes on all of the sessions. It was a really collective process. And in that process, you know, folks let us know, uh, can you reconsider this session? And in some cases we did, and in other cases we, we, we sent them a nice note saying, you know, we'll, we'll put this in our pocket for next year, as you said, Michelle. So it's, uh-huh. It's really, it's a, it's a lot to track, and, and the, it, it, I keep coming back to this abundance of riches. Um, people are overwhelmed often by the number of workshops. The, the hotel happened to be smaller this year, so we, we accepted less sessions than we did last year when the hotel could accommodate more. Um, so it's this balance of, of making sure that we have enough variety within each session that folks have an abundance of riches and have you know, it's like being at a buffet and you want to eat everything. Um, so that mm-hmm. just is going to happen. It's better than someone saying there's nothing this session I want to go to. You know, do you find, and I'll tell you, you know, because I've been doing this show going into my third year. I did another show before then. And I am amazed by the talent in the LGBTQ community, you know, on so many different things. Do you, did you find as you were going through that going like, wow, wow. We are an amazing community. The way that we care for each other. So, like, you know, I, I remember, you know, as I said last night, I, I just flipped to a random page in, in what will be the program book. And I landed on a page where there was one workshop about immigrant and queer rights movement building. There was the one right after it was, was achieving LGBTQ affordable housing justice. The one after that was sex-positive trans sex. The one after that was supporting LGBTQ youth and child welfare and juvenile justice systems. I'm amazed at the attention that we give to everybody in our community in this conference. And, and I don't think the LGBTQ community at large um, does that enough. We have a lot mm-hmm. of work to do around making sure we take care of our own. And that, that's what struck me most. Right. And, you know, and I think that, that that's the thing about creating change. It really, anything that you go to, no matter how much you think that you know, you go and you hear this other perspective, and it really makes you think, you know, differently. And it's, it's life-changing. It really is life-changing. I can tell people, like, my whole idea about parenting came from attending a workshop in Houston that was that Carter Brown, who is a black trans man, was putting on. And they had other trans men, and they were talking about parenting and, and what it meant. And it's just sort of like you realize some of your biases, some of your old thinking, and it just like opens your mind up. And that's one of the things that, that come out of creating change. Obviously, you don't have to sell me. I love creating change. I think it's, it's one of those things that every queer person at some point in their time, no matter if you're, you're young or if you've been in the closet and you're oh, an elder and you're just, you're just living certain, love, you need to go to Creating Change just to feel the love. And I know, Bridie, you bring a lot of love to it. And, Andy, your commitment and your passion for it. I mean, like, you know how they say how somebody took it to like a duck to water, you know, you have made your own shoes. You didn't try to fill Sue's shoe. You brought your own shoes, and, you're, and you've 
filled them well. <laughs> you mm. filled them well. So we know people can go online and register hotels, community housing. Okay, housing shouldn't be an issue, right? So, Bridie, if I'm, if I'm thinking about coming but my concern is I can't afford to stay at the Marriott, what would you say? Two things. First of all, we have you covered. So do me a favor, <laughs> go to the Creating Change 2019 website and where it says Community Housing, sign up. Um, we match and pair people that have housing needs with people that have housing opportunity. And so with that being said, I'd just like to put something out to all of our local individuals. If you have a bedroom or even a couch or a space mm-hmm. or a place that someone could lay their head um, so that this opportunity is available for them, please, please, please um, go ahead and sign up on the website as well because we need people to sign up as host houses and people to sign up that need community housing. And that's all available on the 2019 page for Creating Change. Okay. Now I know that people will probably come by plane, train, and bus, and automobile. Any concerns about transportation, and I know that I heard that you said that you're going to take people on a tour to show them like the Ruth Ellis in there and all like that. Um, how do they find out, like, if, if they get here and they want to go to see the Ruth Ellis Center or some other things, what type of transportation will be available for people? So the Ruth Ellis Center will, will be arranging buses to do that. So I'm, I mm-hmm. want to big, give a huge shout-out to them um, and thank them for arranging that. Um, our, our big concern, you know, something that we can't necessarily control for, um, is the weather. We are just hoping, um, you know, that if a snowstorm comes, that it, it, it comes at the end and we all get trapped there together as opposed to people not being able to come at all. Awesome. So, you know, we, we, it is a challenge in January in, in a place like Detroit, um, you know, that, that there could be some, some, some snow, um, which might be beautiful from inside the hotel, but not so much trying to land at the airport. Is there any type of arrangement with and I don't know if you're trying to, people who are maybe Uber or Lyft drivers who would be willing to, like if somebody is out there at the airport and trying to figure out how to get there, um, to, to, to get them down to from the airport to the Rinsen? That's not something we've thought about, and I'm not sure that's something we've, we've done in the past, but Michelle, mm-hmm. you're catching me off guard here. That's something we should definitely look into, um, and time is of the essence with that. So I thank you for for asking that question. We actually just talked a little bit about that with uh-huh. our um, local hospitality. So we had thought about, like, at least putting on the brochures and letting people know, don't call for a cab in Detroit, call for a lift. You'll get picked up much quicker and, you know, some of those kind of tips. But I never thought about that either, Michelle, so I just appreciate you. That's why more heads are better than one, and we use so mm-hmm. much inclusion with mm-hmm. most of the decisions that are made. So we maybe we can Rich. get the Q line. Maybe we can get the Q line to get renamed the LGBTQ line for for the week. <laughs> well, you know what that you need cool. to talk. You need to, you know, you've got a contact with the LGBT chamber. Ask them to work on that for you. You know that sure. would be so <laughs> cool. I mean, you know, they've done other things. The city has done other things to show that they're welcoming. So, bottom line, people want to know. They need to go to the creatingchange.org website and all the information is there correct it is there you can find out how to volunteer you can find out as bridey said how to um, become a community housing host or to uh, request community housing 
There's information about the hotel. There's even maps of the hotel. There's directions to and from the airport. Um, you can see a complete list of those day-long institutes. Um, you can find out how to sponsor or exhibit for the conference, how to register. It's, it's all there. And Bridie, are you having any? Uh -huh. Thank you, Bridie, Are you having any more meetings for the host committee? Yes, we are going to meet one more time, and that's going to happen on January 9th. Um, it, it'll be from 6 to 6.30 at TechCom, which is 480 Borough Street in Detroit. From 6.30 to 8.30 is the actual meeting, but we eat from 6 to 6.30, so it's very important to be there then. Mm -hmm. Heidi, um, if someone can't make it to one of those meetings but still wants to volunteer, what should they do? If they if they can't make the meeting and what I'm sorry, well okay you know I mean because some people they have to work or whatever. If, but if they want to volunteer, what do they who do they need to contact? Is it Dave Wait or you know is it going nope. to be like a a crash a crash course for latecomers, latecoming volunteers so that they know what to do? To be a volunteer, one commitment that we ask for is for the Sunday before creating change that you come for the day for orientation. Now, it only takes an hour to an hour and a half to do the orientation, and we hold them, I believe, on the hour, every hour throughout that day. But, yes, when we do ask them to be there, they get their T-shirt that day, they get their assignments, um, and all of that happens. But they could go and where will that, that be? day to sign up online at the same um, web address. Okay, and where would that one day be, be held? Oh, that's at the Renson. So that way okay, we could cool. do a walkthrough and we can show them where the different hospitality suites are, um, you know, just to get them generated so they kind of know the space. Mm -hmm. Well, Friday and Andy, I want to thank you for your time tonight. Uh, Andy, welcome to the Creating Change family. You know, even though you've been as, a, as an official task force person, we welcome you. We want, look forward to having you here with us in Detroit and who knows, Bridie and I will find some time to get you to the bar and get you a drink. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, some of the best conversations happen, happen as you're decompressing from the day and just going like, oh, wow. But we, I thank you both for the work you're doing on creating change and for your commitment to bring it to Detroit. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you I'm so sorry. much. Well, again, I want to thank you both. Um, I look forward to seeing you in January and talking to you, if not before then. Um, everyone, please go to creatingchange.org, sign up, register, volunteer. If you've got that extra space, that sofa bed, the extra bed, the couch, you know, there's someone who that might make the difference between them coming and going. So, again, thank you both. Michelle, um, thank okay. you. Thank you for all you know, the hard work you do in this community, for helping us with creating change, for getting the word out, um, and just for being you. I appreciate you as always. Well, likewise, you know that. You're my <laughs> sister from another mother. <laughs> okay, See? Andy, thank you again. And, you know, we'll say we'll always love Sue High, but you know what? It's the Andy Garcia Show, and we're so happy to have you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michelle, and to everyone listening, see you in Detroit at the Rensen in January 23rd through the 27th, 2019.
Yeah, because it might be cold there. outside, but we're going to be toasty hot inside. Okay. That's right. <laughs> okay, well, thank you both, and have a good evening. You too. You thank guys you. do the same. Good night. Okay. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. I want to thank today's guests, Bridie Mae Johnson and Andy Garcia, who brought us information about the Creating Change Conference being held here in Detroit, January 23rd to 29th. To register, find out more about the programs, host housing, or volunteer, go to the website, creatingchange.org. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud's iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.